Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of a joke, scene, or sketch of theirs and discuss all that went into making it. This week's guest is Kate McKinnon, uh, who you most definitely know from her 11 seasons of Saturday Night Live, which resulted in an unprecedented nine consecutive Emmy nominations for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. She joined the show right when Kristen Wiig was leaving, and quickly Kate took over her hero spot as, as the show's most prominent cast member showing a range in terms of characters, impressions, and just types of sketches, and it was so complete it grew easy to take her for granted almost. But her leaving allows you to look at her decade plus as a whole and realize it was easily one of the greatest runs in the history of the show. Honestly, she could have left earlier, not to say that I wanted her to, just that I kind of assumed she would because she's already becoming a very in-demand movie actress, and that usually is a sign that someone's leaving. But as will be clear in this interview, Kate really loved being on SNL. Yes, it was always her dream, but but it was more than that. Kate has always been admittedly very shy, very quiet. But at a young age, she realized through funny voices and impressions, she was able to speak up. She was able to communicate. She was able to process the difficult parts of life, like her father passing away when she was 18. This is all to say that, that though we talk about process and funny characters, this is an emotional conversation. The jumping off point will be Colleen Rafferty, a character Kate played on SNL seven times who is best known for being abducted by aliens and making guest stars and her colleagues break. Created with writers Streeter Seidel and Mikey Day, it was also the character in which Kate chose to say goodbye through. But we're going to start at the beginning with the very first Close Encounter sketch from December 5th, 2015. Also in the sketch, you will hear A.D. Bryant and Bobby Moynihan as the interrogating agents, and Cecily Strong and that week's host Ryan Gosling as the other abductees. Fun fact, all of those people are former guests of this podcast, excluding Ryan Gosling, of course. Though, if you are listening, Ryan Gosling, I am happy to have you on to discuss your spooky Halloween band, Dead Man's Bones. Um, If you've never seen the sketch, which would be a shock considering it has like 55 million views on YouTube, I'd really recommend it just to see her physicality, how she's dressed and her hair and uh, how she smokes a cigarette and ashes it into her coffee cup. So we will link to all the versions of the sketch in our show notes. 
So here is Kate McKinnon. I'm Agent Morris with the NSA, and this is Special Agent Kirkpatrick. Now, we know you've all been through quite an ordeal, so we appreciate you making the trip to Washington on such short notice. Yes, you three experienced the first verified case of alien abduction, so naturally you are of great interest to the United States government. It's nuts, man. I mean, we're just small-town buds who saw a UFO in the woods. I mean, now we're hanging out with the government. Okay. Now, after the blue light pulled you into the spacecraft, what is your next memory? Uh, I came to and saw a beautiful being made of, like, a beautiful, calming light. Yeah, same here. That being touched my head, I felt every emotion in its purest form. It was amazing, and I cried, sir. Okay, and you, Miss Rafferty? Wow. <laughs> what floor were you guys on? I woke up in a dirty metal dome and uh, 40 little gray aliens watched me pee in a steel bowl. <laughs> when they took the bowl, walked out. Interesting. Were these beings also bathed in light? Uh, no, no. They were uh, gray with big fat eyes, little mouths. They just uh, stared while I peed. <laughs> I don't think I was dealing with the top brass. <laughs> And how did they instruct you to urinate? Was that telepathically? Uh, no, no. I, uh, I woke up, I had to pee like a camel. So, uh, I started peeing and uh, one of the gray aliens slapped the wall and pointed at the bowl. So I got the hint, I kind of ducked, walked over the bowl, peed in it. Yes, I, I see. Now, when you all awoke, were you clothed? Um, I was wrapped in, like, a robe made out of warm, glowing energy. Yeah, like a blanket made out of pure love. Yeah, a little different for me. Um, I, uh, I had my shirt I came in with, but my pants were gone. So, uh, my coot coot was out. I was full porky pig in it in a drafty dome. Now, did you all stay on the same ship the entire time, or...? Well, you know, my body did, but my consciousness was shown what lies beyond time and space. It was so beautiful. I'm sorry, I'm just crying about, just thinking about it a little bit. Do you need a tissue? What, no, sorry, I just, I'll use my shirt. Um, the alien showed my mind the furnace of all creation, what we would call God. What? <laughs> These fancy cats are seeing God. Meanwhile, I'm starting phase two, which is me sitting on a stool while 40 gray aliens take turns gently batting my knockers. Did y'all get the knocker stuff? Uh, no, no knocker stuff, sorry. And did you feel threatened, Miss Rafferty? No, 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 no. They were, uh, they were real respectful about it. They were... They were in a line, and then uh, one by one they'd step up, slap a knocker, and then go to the end of the line, wait for another turn. It didn't hurt, it was like, I'm sorry, pardon me, Sharon. It's kind of like that. No harm, no foul. Kind of hurts, it hurts. Um, perhaps they were collecting biological data? No. No, that felt super off the books. I swear to God, there was one gray alien by a door just kind of peeking I think he was the lookout. Look, it wasn't my worst Wednesday night. 
And how did the aliens return you all to Earth? Oh, uh, well, I was carried down <laughs> gently. <laughs> He's crying. I was carried down gently in a cradle of light placed into a soft bed of wildflowers. Yeah, yeah. The light uh, laid me down like a baby in a meadow near my house. I was smiling and weeping. Tears of joy, sir. All right, well, now this missed me a little bit. Because uh, my grand exit was out of what was basically like a big airplane toilet, okay? I, uh, shoot. I dropped down seven feet onto the roof of a Long John Silver's. They threw out my pants separately. They missed the roof. My slacks landed in a frickin' pine tree 30 feet away. So I had to just chill up there with my damn coot coot and prune shoe till the place opened up. Man. Man, you got screwed. Oh, you think, Todd? Well, we'd like to take you guys for physical examinations now. Yeah, all right. They're going to be in a knocker stuff? Um, possibly. I'm sorry. No, no, don't be. Just be gentle, because they're pretty banged up. Tell me about God. What's God's deal? I am here with Kate McKinnon. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jesse, for having me on your podcast. That's exciting. <laughs> yes. I agree. So we're going to start talking about Close Encounters. And the sketches were originally written by Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel, two writers on SNL, Mikey now a cast member. Um, Back in 2015, do you remember them telling you the idea and sort of what was going through your mind when they first mentioned it? Well, I definitely didn't have anything um, for that week. I know that. And usually when that happens, you just sort of scrounge and try to do something but ever so often every so often someone will put a miracle in your lap and um the two of them came up to me and mikey day who knows me very well and who understands me in ways that most people don't um just came up to me with this idea about a woman who gets short shrift during an alien abduction and i thought it was so funny See, Mikey knows that, do you see the headphones I'm wearing? Mm -hmm. Um, They're like 90s over-the-ear headphones. And Mikey started calling them my Rite Aid comfies, which is sort of almost what they're called. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, he understands that I'm kind of like, you know, I don't dress so fancy. I like (laughs) stuff that's like kind of bad. And I, I relish in like nasty little bad experiences and so he thought that i could just sort of play myself in this scenario and then it might work out and uh so they typed up a draft i didn't even have to do anything i pitched like a couple ideas i think i pitched the thing about them batting my knockers around my breasts (laughs) you see and then but they they wrote this draft and then it was just perfect, like it didn't need anything. And that never happens. Usually you mm. have to like hone over the week or find what you're really trying to write about. They just, it like came out perfect the first time. And it was amazing. And everyone was really laughing at the table. And I added the fact that she smokes 
at the table with a pretzel stick just because it seemed like she would be smoking. Mm -hmm. But they really did the rest and they did everything. And they're so unbelievable. Before we get more into it, as we're talking about writing, you know, what is your typical Tuesday writing night schedule? Like, are you an early person and leave early-ish? Are you there super late? How do you like to sort of play it? In real life, I wake up at like eight and I go to bed around midnight. So this Mm -hmm. whole decade has been sort of hard in that regard. Um, Initially, when I started, I was I was staying till like six in the morning. And then that became earlier and earlier over the years. Um, And I feel guilty about that. Yeah, I do. I do. But, uh, you know, I I tried to contribute as best I could Mm -hmm. in the hours when I was like actually awake and functional. When is a sketch that you're more active in the writing on? Colin Jost once described you as a meticulous, very cerebral writer. What does writing look like for you? I I must do it in conjunction with someone who's like a, a great writer. Yeah. And the only thing that ever made sense to me was doing a funny voice. So I have <laughs> always worked from the sound of a voice, mm. um, which makes impressions easy because you just like copy what's already there um and then i have other voices that just sort of naturally occurred to me so i just would sort of sit there and talk in that voice and uh contribute in that way was this a character that started with the voice how did you start building the character once you sort of saw the script like what was the first step this is just a person who i knew would talk exactly like me So I really, it was just the addition of a pretzel stick as a cigarette that was the only, like, character-building element. It just, that's me, baby. (laughs) That's how I am. That's how I talk. I'm Rafferty, all right? Um, I'm made of junk. And that's, (laughs) so it was not, nothing about it was a stretch Mm -hmm. at all. So it was really nice. I guess then how do you then elevate it, right? It's like when you're like, okay, well, she's you sort of aura wise, but she has to have a background. She has to not be a Saturday Night Live cast member. Like, do you are you conceiving of this person's life beyond the walls of this sketch? The dudes really had this picture of a woman who like lived in what we all assumed was like Nevada somewhere and like worked just the for me I hear a voice and details just start to emerge Mm. and then um a hairstyle begins to emerge hair is the next thing that's the next most important um character defining trait and then an outfit begins to grow from that and this idea of like a a person who is like the kind of person who gets abducted by aliens, but is like the worst of that, uh, to me suggested a whole, a- an endless world of, yeah. you know, if that, then, then what? Mm-hmm. And it just became, it was just sort of like, Some things feel like 
they already exist and you just mm. have to pluck them from the sky and flesh them out a little bit. And this was this felt like one of those. Yeah. When you're talking about the, the hair and the look, what were the conversations like about like, how did you describe this hair to the hair department? How do you describe her look to the clothes department, whatever they're called, wardrobe department? <laughs> um, I knew that she would have hair that was like short, a haircut that suggests a person who doesn't want to have to deal with anything. Mm. And has gone a little gray and is just sort of like I don't I don't care you guys and has clothes that also say I don't care you guys um and <laughs> you know she's a very she's a very avoidant person mm -hmm. and um what do you mean by that she she's not going to like try to make life better than mm -hmm. it is she's resigned and Got she it. is able to find joy in what she knows is her reality anyway and to f and to have a sense of humor about that and i um i get that i really do i i feel i use humor in that way and most people do yeah so i want to discuss like what did you land on you know, to use sketch parlance, like the game of what her thing is, like, what did she want? What was getting in her way? What does she think about this? How does she think about these things that are happening to her? And how does it represent the sort of comedy of this person? Well, my favorite sketch is one of the I mean, I have so many favorites, but one of my favorite sketch formats is the format of um the Lawrence Welk show and Dunice. I love mm. two normals and a weird or three normals <laughs> and a weird. It's my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I love being the weird one, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the characters I've ever played are like the weird one in a group of three normals. And uh, yeah. this was certainly no exception. And um, I didn't, I would never have thought to have the normal thing be having like a beautiful alien encounter. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that's the genius of Mikey and Street. They just are like masters of setup and uh, among many other things. But um, so they just to think of like. It's sort of a trope that you've heard yeah. about, like a person being abducted by aliens and seeing God and suddenly knowing the beautiful secrets and mysteries of the universe. And then you also, another trope is <laughs> just getting sort of like loosely probed and hanging mm -hmm. out in basically the basement of a spaceship. And... um to juxtapose those two experiences is mm. the definition of uh, comedy, or yeah. one of them. Yeah. You it, can you, talk about comedy in several different frameworks, but that certainly is one of them. You get at one of my favorite things about this sketch, which is that like Cecily ends up being this straight character, and on all these, she's one of the consistents, even though she's a quite a weird person. Uh -huh. But she plays it, and everyone in the reality of the sketch is like, well, Cecily's being normal, so then she'll mm -hmm. describe this 
weird thing. And in, and usually in a sketch, the weird character says something weird, and then someone goes like, "What are you talking about?" And you get a laugh. But you do that. You go. You have each one. You go what? And it's like, even though she's like, in some ways, what's exciting is that you. It's a weird character, but it's like you're the norm in your head. You're the only one acting normal about this. Mm-hmm. Like she's very plain spoken about it. That's interesting. I never thought about it like that. Um, I just always see things in terms of like popularity. So I just see like two people who are probably popular in this town who had a good experience and then me, which yeah. maybe I'm just like drawing on my own life a little too much. <laughs> You, you you refer to like how you relate to this character in general different sketch actors will have different amounts of how much of themselves is close to the surface of the character how deep they are i think on snl it often benefits the sort of you can kind of get you it's like oh that's kate doing that do you have thoughts about that how much do you you know either in this sketch or there's some other characters obviously like doctor we know this uh who fully is you doing a character um like the, skit, <laughs> the bit is i'm doing a character right now um how do you think about that um i feel that in everything i've ever done there's part of me that's in it um or else i wouldn't have been able to do it i i i had to find something that was similar to the person that i some facet of myself mm-hmm. that was recognizable within whatever i was doing um and those varied by degree. And so this was one of the ones that was like, that I felt most attuned to. Hmm. So the first time it was a sensation, partly because everyone breaks. How <laughs> did you, everyone but you for the most part, though you're, you smile a little bit. How, how do you remember it going? What was that first one like? Looking back on my decade at SNL, it was the greatest thing ever. Like, just every time we rehearsed it, there was laughter, and um, it just felt like soaring, just performing mm. it. And and that's because the the writing was so good, and I was so excited for people to hear the turns of phrase that the guys had written. Um, and they responded in a way that I I hoped they would, and mm-hmm. um, it just it was it was certainly one of the top three moments I've had doing sketch comedy. Yeah, Mikey and Streeter s- describe you as an assassin, where you're deliberately trying to get people Whoa. to break. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you remember uh-huh. doing that? Where once you felt like Ryan was going to go, were you then being like, "Let's see if I can get everyone." It felt like 80. It was very important for you. And then there's a moment at the end. The sketch is over and then you're all walking out. And then Bobby shakes his head and he's like, like, like he had to grit his teeth to get through it. <laughs> um, were, were there, was there any part of you that was like, let's see if I can get at least 80 or the people, everyone else? Because Ryan was gone. I wasn't, I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect my colleagues to break. Um, I suspected the sketch would go very well, but I didn't expect that. And I think it's just we all knew that the writing was so good and that we were all just like delighting in it. I remember one line from the sketch that's like 
we weren't messing with the top brass or so we weren't dealing with the top brass. Yeah. That is so <laughs> it's so funny. And I just um I think we were all like, wow, amazing writing. We're la- yeah. we're laughing. The joy <laughs> it's so joyful. <sighs> In general, Sketch. how did you feel breaking you didn't break in these but there are sketches you broke in you would sometimes would break when you're doing things with 80 how did you feel Mm -hmm. about it in those moments i felt ashamed because we're not supposed to and there's something unprofessional about it and yet sometimes it was just too fun and sometimes there was a hint i guess of wanting the audience to know like oh man i love this you have no (laughs) idea how much I love A.D. Bryant and how much I love this job and how much I love this these jokes. And I kind of want you to know that not only mm-hmm. should you love them, but like I really love what I'm saying right now, <laughs> you know? And I wanted them to know that yeah. I, as a person, was so tickled by what was going down. So sometimes I would allow myself to just yeah, yeah. go there. The character then continues to do it five months later, you know, now with Brie Larson, it's now near-death experience. Indeed. Now, after your car became submerged and you lost consciousness, what was your first lucid memory? Uh, My soul was gently lifted out of my body by, like, a beautiful glowing being, and it said, I am your guardian angel. You are safe with me. And then we just floated up out of the car into the sky. Same here. My angel said, take my hand, dear child. We floated up pretty high, but I wasn't scared. I felt like infused with this warm, loving energy. And you, Miss Rafferty? Uh, yeah, similar concept, different execution. <laughs> my angel said, I'm Keith, hold on. And then he violently yanked my soul up out of my body by the waistband of my sweatpants. <laughs> And did you also feel a loving energy? Uh, no, no. What I uh, what I mostly felt was the pinching of an epic lady wedge, because I was being freaking airlifted by the crotch of my sweatpants, and it was jacked up into my cuckoo. When it was brought up to do it again, how how was it brought up to do it again? Was it something you brought up? Was it something the guys did? Was it something Lauren did? Like. Did you know originally, it was like, oh, we're going to have to do this one again? Like, what were you thinking about? And in general, how did you feel about repeating characters? I forgot who brought up to do it again. I was I was thinking it would be a one-off because I didn't see how you might repeat it. Um, but then someone floated the idea of, well, there's other types of paranormal experiences you could have. And I thought, okay, cool. I would love to do that again. <laughs> um, sure. That was like the most fun I've ever had. And I, in general, I love, like when I was coming of age and watching SNL as an adolescent, Mary Catherine, the cheerleaders, um, Bobby and Marty Mohan Culp, these characters that recurred were like my lifeblood. And, Mm. um, so I I loved the idea of bringing people back and seeing what else, what other kinds of mischief they could get into. Yeah. 
Sketch characters are often locked into the sort of state. They're, the game is the what defines them. Mm-hmm. But as you're doing these people, either in this case or in general, do you feel like you're getting a deeper understanding of who this person is or the world was? Did it feel like you were? It was more a part of you. Like, how did did it change? Did it evolve doing it once you know the process to keep on refining this? Well, as you said, by definition, a sketch character can never learn anything, can never grow spiritually, because yeah. then the sketch is done. They have to repeat the same exact um, flawed behavior, and I think in order to really get deeper into a person, they have to be able to grow. Um, yeah, which is, I think, why people write movies. <laughs> yeah, because that's what a movie is. It's just a character growing yeah. and changing. Uh, and learning something. So, you know, that's that's not the art form, you guys. Yeah. It becomes a container for more more delicious jokes and more delicious turns of phrase and more delicious mm. flawed behavior. The fourth time you do it in 2017, Ryan Gosling's back. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for this bitchin' hat. <laughs> it fits my head perfect. And I love it. Oh, well, uh, we're glad you like it. Um, and also to answer your question, sir, it was this sort of like pathway made a golden light, came down from the spaceship, and we were just like gently ushered in and just floated up into it. Yeah, we got up and, you know, we got up in the ship and we saw the aliens. Glowing beings made a beautiful light and they welcomed us back. It was amazing. I see. And uh, you, Miss Rafferty, yeah. <laughs> Cookie crumbled a little different for me here. I, uh, I wasn't so much lifted by light as I was caught in a net. A little bastard set a snare for me. Next thing I know, I'm being winched straight up through the world's sappiest pine tree, right? My slacks got snagged on a branch, so they're gone. And I'm hauled on board with my bush and my tush hanging out. I see my old pals, the gray aliens with the big, stupid, fat eyes, and I'm hit with the realization, first time I've been on a second date since 2009. It feels like that was a time where the sketch refocused, and you, you did, there was one big change, which was the, the guest now moves next to you, which then allowed you to sort of, uh, in the Ryan case, uh, squish his butt and then squish your face into his butt. Yeah, but in yeah, general, yeah, loud yeah. that that then became the new beat was that you're going to climb all over the host. Um, yeah. What did you like that? And in general, I feel like you're a very tactile sketch performer. Does that feel like a ring true? I feel like you are <laughs> in a character. You like to touch the people that are also in the sketch, or you have a lot of characters where that comes up. I in general, I like to. I think that the if the audience can watch you genuinely connect with someone in the sketch, um, despite the fact that you're reading off of cue cards, if they can witness like a genuine spark of friendship or of two people genuinely reaching out and in some cases physically touching each other, then it's all the more fun to watch and feels all the more real. And, um, I don't, I forget who pitched me like doing that with his butt. It just seemed like uh, someone ought to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it, and he is a very funny, obviously it's a very funny image. You're 
your face is in his butt and he is crying laughing <laughs> the most anyone has ever i can remember breaking is how much he was laughing in that <laughs> moment <laughs> in general of the before we get to sort of the last one do you have any moments from any of the the first six that sort of jump out as sort of favorite moments or favorite jokes um, do you have a favorite of the euphemisms for your body parts that become such a big part of the sketch? There is a running list of these euphemisms for genitals. Um, it's at this point a very long document and was always mm -hmm. the best part of writing the sketch. Um, the first one, I think they added coot coot and prune shoot uh maybe before maybe right before air or certainly right before dress it was not something we'd been rehearsing all week and a lot of the other ones were monosyllabic and this was <laughs> entire rhyming phrases rhyme within rhyme um yeah. and it was just so evocative Coot, coot, and prune, shoot. And then, <laughs> I mean, it's just great. It's just wonderful. <laughs> the way that Colleen Rafferty talks is like, it's very basic. It it has a, a timeless, like, mid-century quality. Like, we're not dealing with the top brass. These are sort of mm -hmm. old phrases. And yet she uses them in a way that is very poetic. Um, yeah. And so, though coot coot and prune shoot is a like basic and coarse and base thing to say, it has its own, you know, Bronte esque majesty yeah. to it. <laughs> and so, I, I think that that's one of the great um, comedic juxtapositions about the character as well. Yeah. Um, does anything else jump out of you from the? times of all the, the six other times just either doing it or bits you liked of it um just like how proud i was that to be to have arrived at a moment where i was like knocking one of ryan gosling's butt cheeks into the other <laughs> um i thought <laughs> i have had a cool life <laughs> i like my life <laughs> So the last one, which was the cold open for your last show. Well, that, that was a riveting testimony, but there is something you should all know. Uh, we've been in contact with the beings. They have offered the U.S. government access to some of their technology if one of you agrees to go with them permanently. Well, I can read the room. It's me, right? <laughs> sure. Oh, why not? I always kind of felt like an alien on this planet anyway.
I remember, I think it was either around your seventh or eighth season. It's hard to remember because you started at the beginning, the end of a season. So like knowing which was number, but you know, that was like around the time people were leaving after the, or the seventh or eighth season. So I reached mm-hmm. out to SNL and I was like, is Kate going to leave? And like the response truly was like, LOL, no way. Like there was a, like, she would never, <laughs> she's not going to leave. What are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, especially the last four or five years, you were getting the question a lot. Like probably just like yeah. people giving you coffee or like, Hey, how much longer are you going to do? <laughs> um, you know, and you're in TVs and movies, you know, why did you in those years, why did you not want to leave? Had there, had it been a consideration, were there other seasons where you sort of talked to yourself you know what? Before we talk about leaving, talk about staying. Um, I definitely was not sure when the right time to go was. Going was in the back of my mind for a while because, um, it's just a grueling schedule. I mean, I could do it for the rest of my life happily if the schedule were not so grueling and if I was not naturally a person who liked to wake up at 8 a.m. and go to bed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> why did you – but those moments, you you decided I have to keep on doing it. Like you, you – seemingly you did consider like, oh, this is not natural for me. But then you're like, I can't, I can't quit this yet. I can't stop doing this. Like what made you stay? Those, those last – like season eight, nine, uh-huh. ten. What were the conversations like with yourself? Part of it was the pandemic and how strange uh, production had become and wanting to wait until it was normal again. Um, And mostly, I just, I hate change and I hate goodbyes and I love those people. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going to start crying for a Okay. You know, it was really, it was really hard, and I really am not good at like saying goodbye to stuff. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Yikes! Glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so then this year in April, you talked to Variety, and they were like, "When are you going to leave?" And you're like, "I don't know yet. It's April. I haven't thought about it." And then obviously, you know, you're on Live and Kelly, and you talked about. Your just body was like, I can't keep on doing this show. Mm-hmm. May or so, what were the conversations like? And and when did you realize, I think this is, I can't, I, this is the end? I just actually was having trouble getting my body through mm-hmm. the, per- like I was having trouble staying up until 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I, this, I have to, I have to go as, as scared as I am and as sad as I am. I just this is it's time and um yeah what was it like telling lauren that you were oh man (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) um telling lauren was really hard he knew it was coming he was very sweet but he is has been uh a father figure to me and so much more and it's just really hard yeah simple human emotions not wanting to say goodbye to something you love (laughs) 
It's raw, you know, it's fresh. This is fresh. It's only happened two months ago. No, I mean, it's it's the job that you, you mean, it's a decade. It's a, a long time to do a thing. To yeah. be able to end that when it's your dream, I it's it, it should be and reasonably is quite hard. Yeah. So to move back to sketch to make it a little bit easier. Okay, though, thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> no problem. So it's your last show. Uh-huh. What were the conversations like about doing a goodbye sketch? Whose idea was it to do a one of the alien encounter things? What were those conversations like? Um, It's funny. I had thought about it for a long time, and I wanted, I hope I'm not an ostentatious person, and I don't like to make a show of myself, and I hate my birthday. But I did want a moment of catharsis, of sort of trying to encapsulate what the whole thing had meant to me, and like telling that to the audience, basically. And um a while ago, Streeter and Mikey had floated the idea of me getting in a spaceship at the end, and I thought that was beautiful. Um, I had one other idea where I would play my um, barfly character, Sheila Sauvage. All right, you sad sacks. Last call. So either hook up now or go home and take care of yourselves. Hey, bartender. Give me a uh, Kentucky nightcap. That's a bourbon with a Tylenol PM floating in. And I'll take one more vodka cheddar, please. Might as well. My liver's losing a joust to a knight by the name of Sir Rosas. <laughs> well, well, well. Looks like there's one pickled egg still floating around in the vinegar. Yeah? Why don't you uh, fish me out? Lay me down on a plate and see if you can get past how I look and smell. Please. I had stew for dinner that I would like to stay down. And make out individually with every one of my colleagues. Um, But (laughs) due to COVID restrictions Mm -hmm. and due to the other thing being such a beautiful idea, we went with that. And... Uh, So I didn't get to make out with everyone, which is a bother, but maybe one day. And then um, I it's funny, I anticipated it being this moment of absolute release. Mm. And it was in a way, but it it certainly was not the most meaningful moment of the whole thing. Um, Jesus Christ, Kate, come on, get it together. It was not the most meaningful moment of the decade in the way that I thought it might be. The most meaningful moments, just looking back, were like... Okay, long pause for crying. Sorry. The most meaningful moments were moments when, like, on a Friday night at rehearsal, I I decided to stop and look around at the people that I loved so much and just make a memory of it. Yeah. Um... Nothing special. We were all just sitting around and Mikey was doing a bit or Alex was doing a bit and we were catching up and just looking around at the crew and in my memory, those are the moments that meant the most. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> that counts. Um, 
there's a there's a moment in this this sketch, which when it aired, I was crying. Um, that and this was like I lost it when you say this line, which is uh, uh I always, always kind of felt like an alien on this planet anyway, and. I don't know, like as a person who's been following your career and like who knows that sometimes interviews are hard for you, it there is a thing that you all often say that like you got into sketch comedy because it was easier for you to talk through characters than it was for you to sort of talk. And that moment felt like I heard you in a way that was harder to hear in other ways. It just felt like I got you and I want to know what that line meant for you, what it I don't know if you wrote or not, but like performing that. Um, it's interesting because I did not write that line. Mikey mm-hmm. and Streeter wrote that line. And I think that came out of Mikey knowing me and my Rite Aid comfies and understanding that that's how I do feel. Um, yeah. And so I read it in the draft that they sent and I was like, oh, <laughs> shoot, this kind of lays me bare. But I loved it and I thought it was exactly what i would say if i had written it and um uh so yeah i felt a little naked doing it but in a good way yeah in a way that i had rarely rarely felt in the decade of doing sketch but i had at other moments felt sort of like wow i'm really oh shoot this is really me talking yeah, it was. It, you say that, and then it goes into the like, "Earth, I love you. Thanks for letting me stay a while." And though it was not the moment you hope, what did it feel like to be able to directly address the audience, essentially, and just be like, "Thank you." It was like I was like too amped up to really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, no, let's be real. I was in it and I felt like I was, I really did just want to say thank you and thank you for watching. Yeah. And um, it was really, it felt really beautiful to be able to do. Um, and then, but then I had an unexpected moment when I was walking out of the studio an hour or so later, I there were still a bunch of people waiting, and um, I got to like give a bunch of hugs, and I I felt like wow, this is why I was doing this the whole time. Yeah. So I got to like say that to actual people, like on an individual basis, which was also very meaningful and cathartic. So there were a lot, there were multiple catharses uh, that evening. Yeah. Um, so after you do that, that's the beginning of the show, which is funny. That like, that was the cold open, so then you have to do the rest of the show. And the last mm-hmm. sketch was you and 80 doing kind of a you and an 80 thing. Yeah. I want to express myself because I'm young at heart and I want to show it. And I want to look as young as I feel. But anti-aging creams and hair dyes have harmful chemicals that just aren't me. Because I'm eco-friendly and a little funky, too. What What do we we do? Sounds like you need gray adult pigtails. (laughs) The number one hairstyle for whimsical women of a certain age. Whether you're a puppeteer, a pet psychic, or someone's aunt's therapist's wife, you need a hairstyle that says... 
People are going to be talking about me for years after meeting me for five minutes. Because <laughs> you're unique. You love art. And you want people to see you and think, got it. <laughs> so grab two elastics and change your life with gray adult pigtails. Because <laughs> you never stop smoking pot. Washes your hair. <laughs> what was that like? The sort of like, at that point, this is not your goodbye sketch as much as sort of your like, last time doing an 80s sketch. What was the that moment like? That was great, and that was fun, and that was, like, just good to be up there with my dear friend. But again, it couldn't quite encapsulate the enormity of yeah. what that relationship has meant to me, you know? Yeah. You can't quite <laughs> say in a moment what, a, like, 10 years means. Yeah. We're right back with Kate McKinnon discussing some more of her iconic characters from her 11-season run. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. Because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now back to Kate McKinnon. I want to use most of the rest of the time to sort of encapsulate some of those last years and just name characters or impressions you did and, like, just talk about coming up with them, what you liked about them, how you, you know, like, a very short version of, like, the thing that we just did that hopefully okay. will be a little bit easier. Okay, um, so, uh, well, as we're talking about 80, what, it, to you, is the sort of definitive you and 80 sketch? <laughs> oh, gosh. Is it the young boys? Is it home goods? Is it... Um... It began... It began earlier than that. I forget was what was like the first one that the two of us, it was just like the two of us talking. It was definitely written by Anna Dresden and Alison Gates. And I forget exactly what it was, but we didn't know. I mean, we'd been like insanely close for years, but had never thought to just 
basically put ourselves on home base mm-hmm. to have the audacity to do that. And um, it just was so fun. And there was such, I think, you know, I hope you can feel the the love between us that is genuine and that that genuine, like, just frisson and joy of uh, being together on stage, I think is what made those sing and made us just want to then like make a thing of that. What is to you is the sort of like definitive Chris Kelly, Sarah Schneider sketch that you got to do while they were still on the show? Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) There was so much about the Chris Kelly, Sarah Schneider era that was so special. Um, I think the politics stuff, because they wrote all of the Hillary stuff during the 2016 election, was very special and like the most intense moments of like wonderful collaboration ever. Um, I think the most fun we had probably was writing the music videos that we did, yeah. which are just just pure fun. Yeah, my favorite is Wishing Boot. Thank you. I would also say Wishing Boot. I would also say Wishing Boot. When I was 16, our farm burned down. Daddy took to drink all over town. I raised my brothers in an old motel Went from living in heaven To starving in hell And then one day I heard a knock at the door Opened it up and saw boot on the floor It was a wishing boot The wishing boot The little black boot that makes your dreams come true It was a wishing boot Perfect Really yeah, did. yeah. Thanks. I really, <laughs> I really, really was proud of that. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about Olya Pavlatsky. Well, I said, Meyer, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. So, pretty close call, huh? Yes. At all. It was so close. So close I could taste it. I saw it coming and I said, Meteor, come to Olya. Take me away from this barren wasteland. Wait, I'm sorry. So you wanted the meteor to hit you? Set, in my village, there is an old legend we tell children about little girl who worked hard without complaint. To reward the girl for her labor, God struck her with a meteor and turned her to dust. Then a goat ate the dust, and it was there in the goat's belly that the girl was finally warm. You tell that story to children? Doesn't it make them sad? They're already sad, sad. And also sort of how you thought of a character as then a Weekend Update character. That was Chris and Sarah. Just they had heard of this meteor in Russia and thinking that like parts of Russia are so bleak that a, a gal might want pray to be killed by the meteor and i thought that was hilarious and you know i had like a russian axe in my back pocket and that sort of unfolded quite naturally yeah and when you do a weekend update how did you approach differently how is it a sort of a different as a sketch performer weekend update was a it's a little different in that like you're talking to the audience and you're talking to 
like the person in the scene with you. Um, and so it has more like traditional performance elements. Um, but mm -hmm. I also tried to really just focus on the loving connection between me and Seth or Colin, whoever was there in the chair. Um, love them both so much. And, um, you know, it's not a scene. It's like you're, it's, but it's not a soliloquy either. Yeah, the, yeah. the the connection between the performer and the host of the scene is like just as important as the words that you're saying to the audience. Yeah. Um, Debet Goldry, which I believe was built out of an Anna Dresden idea. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, let's get started now. As women, what are some of the unique challenges you've faced in your film careers? Well, the roles just aren't there. I mean, everyone wants to cast you as the girlfriend, the mother, the beautiful girlfriend, the beautiful mother. <laughs> exactly. Everyone asks what you're wearing, but nobody asks what you're thinking. Yep, everyone gives you drugs to wake you up. Drugs to <laughs> What? Well, uh, and back at MGM, they'd give me opioid injections between my toes to keep me quiet between takes. And then uh, they'd have a little man run over, give me a shot of amphetamine to say my line. Stop hitting me with that shovel, Clark Gable. You know, and then uh, more opium. You girls know how it is. No, we don't. Is that a thing that happened? <laughs> Sweetheart, with opium, you never really know, do you? How do you do work together, sort of make it your own and make it sort of what it became, which is one of my favorite of your characters? Oh, thanks. That was Anna and Sudi Green. And uh, Anna had the idea, and I just like pulled out one of my old lady voices, and I just thought it was a genius idea and yeah. pitched on it. and. That was that. You played a lot of old ladies. You're wonderful at I it. do. I do. A recent one, the Dreamhouse Cousin sketch, where you play the mother-in-law. It's one of mm -hmm. my favorite performances. And it's this season, but I was just like, this is somehow you found a new shade of an old lady. But I thought it was really... <laughs> what do you like about it? Um, it's interesting. Even in my middle school theater career, I was playing old ladies. Um I guess old ladies are divorced from uh, convention mm -hmm. in a way that makes it just more fun to do. They're divorced from the expectations of women in our culture. They're, you know, you can be anything you want to be when you're an old lady and you can be as kooky as you want to be. And so I naturally gravitated toward that as a platform for saying the darndest things. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I wanted to ask about the impressions and how are they, how would you approach an impression opposed to a character? How did you sort of lock in? How did you define who the person was? I mean, like, to use an example, like, let's say Hillary, right? So Hillary had been done on the show twice. You're, mm -hmm. you're using the same source material for the most part. Good evening. Hello. Hiya, hiya, hiya. Hello. I'm Hillary Clinton. 
Tonight, I'm speaking to you not as Secretary of State or as a Senator or as a First Lady, but as a relatable woman on a couch. Hello. <laughs> How do you start to sort of just like build it to sort of make it an extension of your comedic perspective? Hmm. I think with that or with any impression, I like would watch videos religiously and like try to get the voice as close as I can, which was never my strong suit. I like I'm not like the best technical impressionist by any stretch. Um, but I I would study their behavior and try to find a bit of myself in it or a way that I related to it, or at least something I admired about it, or if not that, just something I thought was really interesting about it. Yeah. And um, would just sort of use that nugget as a game to... Yeah. Build upon. I remember hearing you wrote down how Ellen said every letter mm-hmm. and then decided which is the letter that you could latch on to. Would you do that with other people? Yes. I mean, I'm like a truffle pig for little natural variations in people's speech. And you can always find a little something. Hmm. Or like something, and I'm sorry to all the people I've done, but like something they said once or did once that then becomes like (laughs) the centerpiece of a whole pattern of behavior, Um, which is not fair, but also like (laughs) sometimes you you just gotta gotta pick something and latch onto it. Um, You said the Ruth Bader Ginsburg was your favorite of your impressions to do. Mm -hmm. So you have no plans to leave the Supreme Court. Colin, mm-hmm. the bench is now my porch. I'm going to sit on it all day and scream, no, get out of my yard. <laughs> so come on, realistically, how long do you think you can hold on? Oh, forever, Colin. I'm eating an apple a day to keep Ben Carson away. <laughs> and by apple, I mean pure human growth hormone, of course. <laughs> And if that doesn't work, I've hidden horcruxes in all the tablets in the D.C. metro area. How did you develop it? What did you want to focus on? What was the thing of hers that you sort of noticed? And then how did you flesh that out? Uh Well, I knew that um, the way that our dearly departed Ruth Bader Ginsburg talked was not going to make great comedy because she has so much gravitas she spoke slowly and softly and that's i knew that i couldn't like do her voice as the basis of something so i went with this character that i had been doing since middle school who like talks like this and has one side of their mouth like drooping um which i guess was based on just long island just growing up on Mm -hmm. long island Mm -hmm. and uh So I kind of, I thought like, well, what would it be funny to see her do? And I tried it once and it didn't work and no one laughed because I didn't have a hook. And then this writer, Alison Rich, had this hook of like Ginsburns. Mm. And then I thought, well, and she should dance too. And she said she should be like 
we should contrast what we know of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is that she is a um, very, like, deliberate, self-contained genius. And then this, like, what what might be the, like, what would the zest that's within her sound like? Yeah. Um, if she didn't have so much gravitas, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's, I thought that's what she, <laughs> what she, like, part of her, if it were given a voice, might sound like. And I thought that she would dance <laughs> in like her robe. Did. Yeah. Um, you know, y- you'll say things like, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't do an impression of someone I truly hate it. Or some version of, like, I need to like the people I do impressions of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to talk about Rudy Giuliani for a second. President Trump said he's moving forward with legal challenges to vote counts across the country. Here to comment is the man leading the charge, his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Whoa, 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 look at that. If it ain't de Blasio and Dinkins, hello. Hi. Yeah, I get it. Hi, Rudy. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. good times. Yeah. Hey, did you see my press conference today? It was at the Four Seasons. Fancy. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds fancy, but it was at a landscaping company called Four Seasons. Was, was that a mistake? What? No. Anyway, I'm glad I made it to the show on time, because first I went to 30 Rocks. That's a granite quarry in New Rochelle. What a night. Okay. You have the idea, someone, either your idea to Rudy or someone's like, what if Kate did Rudy? And I assume your not comedy self does not think fondly of Rudy Giuliani. What is then the process of sort of like figuring out an impression and I guess figuring out what it means to like him enough to do it? Like what, how do you define that approach? Uh, Rudy Giuliani was not my idea. (laughs) It was, uh, it was head writer Kent Sublet's idea Mm -hmm. in retrospect a great idea but i i was dubious at the time and it was also it was his idea on like a friday night um and i was like okay i'll give it a whirl and again i just i had been doing this character with a friend of mine oddly enough named rudy beef who was like a tough a tough guy with this kind of mouth Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, maybe I'll just do something like that. Like, there was something in how how tough he maintains himself to be while at the same time having been in real life so diminished. Yeah. And that is something I thought was like an interesting contrast that I could build on. You said you don't want your impressions to be mean for no reason, but I was wondering if they could be mean for a reason. And specifically, I was thinking of Jeff Sessions and Lindsey Graham. This week, Attorney General Jeff Sessions testified again about the Trump campaign's contact with Russia. Here to comment is Jeff Sessions. Great to see you, Jeff. When I say I do not, you say recall. I do not. Recall. I do not. Recall. 
the recall and response column. That's my, my catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catchphrase. Yeah, I noticed you said that a lot uh, during testimony. Now, do you really not remember meeting with George Papadopoulos about Russia? Well, you know, Colin, I've actually, I've had some memory problems stemming from a childhood trauma. A childhood trauma? What was that? Oh, the passing of the Civil Rights Act. <laughs> like, how did you approach those? How did you make sure, not having a point, but like it was it, in so much as these are satirical, parodical characters that you are, have the, the, the angle of what you're trying to communicate them is clear, while also like being funny, large characters. Or Lindsey Graham, either option. Or another political adjacent person. Um, I guess, you know, I definitely wanted to use the platform of SNL to talk about what was bugging me and what I thought of as hypocrisy. Um, but also if you're acting, you, you have to like be compassionate you have to like be filled with a compassion and understanding and that made it a particularly interesting challenge all right there you go (laughs) it is august we're kind of getting to the point in where i imagine usually at august you're now like oh like it's august and then now i'm gonna like we're gonna do commercial parody soon like how are you feeling right now that you're not doing that um, I, it hasn't quite sunk in yet that I won't be popping back into the office soon. Um, I'm certainly excited for what the rest of my life will entail and happy to have the opportunity to find out, um, and happy to be going to bed at midnight. So happy. Yeah. I feel really healthy and really good. <laughs> I'm wearing my retainer mm-hmm. again. Um, I'm taking vitamins for the first time. You know, these are like <laughs> really good like Life experiences yeah. Yeah, to yeah. have. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I know that I will like forever miss it, and especially the people. Yeah, just the greatest people, and an absolute family of people. Um, But I'm also excited to join new families and um, explore other uh, parts of myself. I mean, I think that as you could maybe tell from listening to this interview, I I also have like, I have sadness. (laughs) I have joy and I have sadness and, and maybe I'll, um, See if I can do something with that, or well, I don't know. I yeah, don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering because it's like you've been doing sketch as professionally, you're almost essentially your entire adult life, and then you've been doing it as also as a kid, and you're doing comedy, and and you've done other roles, but it seems like characters are so part of it. You know what? Creatively, what do you hope to explore, and how, and what do you think you will? 
it's sort of like what part of your SNL acting career do you feel like will be there? What parts do you think will be able to expand? You mentioned being able to play sadness. Is that do you feel like you can? What is what does it look like? What do you hope it looks like without being like name every project you plan on doing for the next two years? <laughs> well, I would love I never want to stop playing characters. I love care. That's like my whole life is care. I love people. I love finding out what is inside them and putting that on display. I just am in love with people and characters. And so I never want to stop doing that. But, you know, there is sort of a limitation in sketch in that the characters can never grow and learn. And that's something to to explore. Um, I've heard you talk about, you know, you've done this work out of desire to share and connect. It, uh, when you think back to the show, do you have a moment when you felt most connected to the audience? I will share two moments when I felt most connected. One was after uh, Hillary had lost that um, the cold open was me playing Hallelujah on the piano. I felt that for the people for whom that was uh, a tragic event, I felt very connected Mm. in a very real way. And then I also felt, um, I felt really connected that, that first time when I did the alien abduction sketch. Yeah. In a different, you know, completely different experience. People are laughing instead of uh, crying. And yet the same recognition of like, we're all in this together, guys. See what, you know, we all feel the same way about something. That, I think, is the most amazing thing about sketch as opposed to um, stand-up. And as opposed to any sort of filmed long-form piece, like a movie or whatever. Sketch is like, I always thought of it as like, you observe something and you're going to, it's like a show and tell. You show the audience this thing that delighted you about human behavior and you're laughing at it. They're laughing at it. And then you are bonded with them because you both know that you both feel the same way about this thing. And... I just think that's like the greatest Mm. experience you can have. (laughs) So now it's time for the final segment of the show. It's called Mm -hmm. the laughing round. It is like a lightning round, but because this is a comedy podcast, I uh, call it uh, a laughing round. Okay. So shorter questions. I think they will be easier. I promise. Um, (laughs) Do you have a favorite joke joke? Street joke, dad joke, knock-knock joke, or any joke you think of when I ask you, do you know any jokes? My favorite joke is a Sarah Silverman joke that she did in a stand-up special a while ago. She was telling about a guy dunking his balls in a glass of water and them floating, and that's how she knew that his balls were a witch. (laughs) That is my favorite joke of all time and will always be my favorite joke. It is such an unexpected logical leap. And to say that his balls, plural, were a witch <laughs> is just everything. beautiful writing. Um, is there a character or sketch that you wish you 
could steal, a thing that happened in any time in the history of sketch or character comedy that you were like, I wish that was mine. I wish I got to be that person. I got wish I wish I created it. I wish I got to perform as that person. Mary Catherine Gallagher. Final answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a famous comedian, living or dead, that you would be willing to share with us? Famous comedian. Or comedy maker of any sort. Um, no, I can only think of stories about A.D. Bryant. Sure. She's a famous comedian. She's a legendary she comedian. Is a living- fa- I mean, yeah, yeah. That what's an eighty Brian story you're willing to share? Well, no, you're it's comfortable not even, It's more. It's more about me. It's if it's a, if it's a story <laughs> and there's another person, I think it counts. Um, we shared an office for many years, and this one time I was eating a scone, and I, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this scone, and it, I had about half of it left, and I put it in the garbage, and then. And hours went by. 80 came in. We checked in. We talked about our lives. And I was hungry again, so I reached into the garbage and pulled out the scone. And she was like, that's my friend. (laughs) So nonplussed. Just... (laughs) And I can think of countless times when we did little things that might horrify someone else, but... um, we're we're just completely understandable yeah. for the other, and that's friendship. Uh, do you have any advice for an aspiring comedian or comedy maker? Oh, okay, yeah, I have advice for aspiring comedians for sure. Um, and my advice would be to just perform as much as humanly possible uh, in any context. Uh, doing anything that you wouldn't later regret putting on the internet Mm -hmm. that should be said but like i know that i uh when i was coming up i was like part of the ucb community and i did a bunch of one woman shows there but i was also on sketch teams and i did people were making videos every weekend and I sort of like fell in with that community and performed what I'm assuming amounted to about 10,000 hours, Mm. as Malcolm Gladwell recommends. And I think you do need that in order to um, figure out who you are and what you want to say. Yeah. There's no shortcut. You just have to spend so much time performing in the sketchiest places. Do you, is there a sketch from your time at the show, I'm sure there is, that you thought was so funny, maybe you tried multiple times, maybe you only pitched once, who knows how far it got, you're like, this sketch is so funny, and you tried it, and at some point, it did not work, but you will go to your grave still being like, they were wrong, that was a good idea. Um, I have one that I can't say, because if I ever host, I'm trying it, you guys. <laughs> Um, but another, there was a year of my life at SNL when I tried every other week to play a Scottish person. I tried in 
every possible permutation you could think of. I tried to be a magical troll that was Scottish. I tried to be uh, the Prime Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon. I tried to be random. I And you're not, you know, if something doesn't go well at the table, the unwritten rule is that you got to wait until it's fresh again in people's minds. I could not wait. I had to try again. And I think everyone at the end of the year was ready to do some kind of intervention with me and be like, Kate, the Scottish thing, for whatever reason, it's not working and you need to let it go. <laughs> what was it about it? I don't know. I think the voice might have been just too far outside the realm of relatability to be funny to people. Or maybe it was just more funny to me because I am of Scottish descent. I I know plenty of Scots and I it was just something that meant more to me and was more delightful to me than maybe my colleagues. So, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But maybe one day. Maybe one day. I think that's it. I think we did the interview. That's it? That's okay. it. Sorry I cried for like, so I cried so much. I was not expecting that. I'm sorry. It's just, it's fresh, you know, and it means a lot to me, you know? No, it's great. I mean, look, I, I it's 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 okay. I thought it might be emotional. This is, it's an, an emotional sketch. It is an emotional time. I appreciate you being comfortable to be honest in that moment um yeah i had nice. no choice you got really me good. jess <laughs> <laughs> you got me real good <laughs> okay and that's it thank you so much that was great thank you for having me i really appreciate it's a pleasure it. it's a pleasure it's an honor it's an honor that's it for another episode of Good One. Saturday Night Live will be back in the fall without Kane McKinnon. Kane McKinnon is definitely not on social media. Good One is produced by myself, Trelawney Carter, and Camila Salazar. Scott Mishikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.